0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Unfiltered Podcast. My name is Lee Stevenson. I have the pleasure and privilege of being the Executive Director of Church Planting for Converge.
1: My name is Danny Parmley, and I oversee church planting with Converge America. And we are very excited because we've got a special guest with us today, Glenn Hirschberger, who I met for the first time while he was a church planter, but the story starts before even then. So Glenn, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your story and your journey in church planting?
2: Well... Honored to be here, guys. Uh, good to see you in sunny Orlando. So I'm I'm excited. Uh, it started probably when I got called into ministry in 1997, and I was asked uh, the next year to go to a church planting assessment. I didn't really know what that meant, but my wife and I went to that and uh, kind of got the bug to church plant. And really didn't think that we were church planters at the time. So. Uh, moving forward, we had a, a community that uh, kind of came to the surface as far as planting. And um, w- we drove into the community and we felt God's call, like, this is where we're supposed to plant.
0: Now, you were, knowing a little bit of your story, before being called into ministry vocationally, you were a police officer. That is correct. Um, how did, what were the, the, what was the situation? How did the scenario play out in your life, Glenn? Um, where you decided, man, I'm a police officer working towards, honestly, a fairly good pension and uh, loving your job to feeling like God's calling you to give this up and go into pastoral ministry. Like what were the circumstances around that change?
2: Well, it really began in 1990. And I'm working at this police department and I'm surrounded by other men. And I am just feeling like I don't connect with anyone because of lifestyle things and just, you know, working night shifts. It's just really, it's a difficult, it's a difficult occupation. And so then Promise Keeper comes uh, on the scene, and there's just something that resonated with me. And then uh, I'm attending this church. I'm asked to start a a men's ministry. So a guy that I knew that I was in accountability with, we started a men's ministry, and it just took off. And so now I'm seeing some of my friends uh, on the force coming to church, being, quite frankly, evangelized. And um, there was just kind of this turning point. Like, I didn't think I would ever retire as a police officer. Like, I knew Mm. God had something else. And really, for the first 15 years of our marriage, every year at some point, we'd say, I wonder what God really wants us to do. Because I knew it wasn't law enforcement long term. Mm. And so I think after that assessment, it's like, I never look back and go and said, you know, what, what are we supposed to do? I knew this was it. I was I was made for this and I was called to do this.
0: So how, I mean, that's an interesting conversation. I mean, how did your wife process that along with you when you come home and go, hey, I think I want to go into pastoral ministry and be done with being a, a cop?
2: I have an amazing wife because she was raised in a surgeon's household. So she saw her dad being called out, going to the ER, doing these surgeries. So she understood Hey, there's a sacrifice. Uh, I actually called her in 1997 when I, I sensed God calling me into ministry at Stand of the Gap. It was a Promise Keepers event. And I said, hey, I think we're supposed to go to Houston to be a youth pastor. Because I was a police officer in junior high school. And she said, well, okay. And so she is just a wonderful, wonderful woman and great support to the whole journey of 35 years. But, you didn't, but you didn't go to Houston, though. No. no, God just, he had... He had planted that seed like I am getting you ready to yeah. move, and we actually put our house up for sale before I knew God was calling us into church planting.
0: Wow! So, what were the what was the thing that compelled your heart to become a church planter? Because church planting is hard, and uh, you know you're coming in and going. Okay, I think maybe youth pastor going into ministry. To no, I think we're going to actually start a church and, and that whole process. What were the unique things that God did in your life in that moment to say, no, this is what we're actually wanting to do?
2: That's a great question. When you see the lostness of humanity after 12 o'clock a.m. and 2.30 bar time, and you see the, the really the depravity and the humanity of what we do to one another, uh, and then I get placed in a junior high school, and I'm dealing with the byproduct of that. I'm dealing with these 7th, 8th, ninth graders, and I'm just saying they need Jesus. Mm. And so I saw these kids. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't there to evangelize them, but they'd ask me spiritual questions, and I had, I had permission. In fact, the principal gave his life to Christ. The vice principal gave his, uh, her life to Christ. My wife is discipling in the school, and God is blessing that. And I knew that there was more. And I know that church planting is really one of the most effective ways to evangelize. It's, it's a way to reach people that are far from Christ. Yeah.
0: Now, did you start as a Bible church planter or did you go straight into full-time church planting?
2: Yeah. Um, I had decided that we had a formula of support raising that I didn't have all our support. My wife was working in the school uh, and so I had decided that I, that we were going to, I was going to drive back and forth from where we planted to where I worked as a police officer. Which by the way, you can actually say those. Oh, I can names. say this. this is unfiltered.
1: So there you, can, you go. No, no secrets. So here.
2: we planted in Lake Mills, Wisconsin, and I was working at Fond du Lac, uh, police department in junior high school. And, um, my work said, yes, we can let you, uh, live out of county and out of really the, the area. Um. And so that was 65 miles one way so i'd have to get up uh you know crack of dawn and drive up there work work a shift a day shift, and i come back and do launch team meetings and evangelism and bible studies and all sorts of you know church planting pre-launch stuff
0: how long were you at that church then that you planted in lake mills was there 11 years okay yeah and then you felt another move of the lord in your lives explain a little bit of what took place at that point and where God took you.
2: Yeah, I do wanna mention this because I thought when I wasn't gonna retire as a police officer, when I left Fond du Lac Police Department in 2000, I thought I was done in law enforcement. And I just remember going, ah, I'm done. And then I get hired to be a part-time police officer in the school of Lake Mills, which gave me instantaneous credibility. I mean, like people trusted me from the get-go. And of the eleven police officers, we um, we saw four attend church, give their life to Christ, wow. get baptized, and one of them is part of the Iwana program at Real Hope Community Church. So that's kind of cool. That's great. So then there was a tension. So I had a sabbatical about eight years in, and uh, by the way, I'm a, a huge advocate of sabbaticals. Yeah, uh, it probably saved the ministry, saved me, and and God's really pressing in. It's like, okay, what's the next step and And I thought it was to get our church ready. We had purchased land. I thought it was a building project. And all of a sudden, God does a flip on us. And uh, we had been taking our church for about eight years to Ecuador on short-term mission trips. And I thought it was, he was calling me into missions uh, to Ecuador. And, um long story short uh Tom Nebel, at the time we meet with him and he says hey we're we're still doing this international thing It's english and and um well we're we're going to panama I said well that's great it's march 13th it's snowing it's sleeting <laughs> <and> quite frankly i'm ready i'm ready for some tropical warmth you know and I get a call the next day, and one thing leads to another, we take a vision trip, and uh, it's like, yep, God is calling us to plant an international English-speaking church in the heart of Panama City, Panama.
0: Wow. I mean, <laughs> it, when you really begin to think of that, what a transition. Uh, there are not a lot of people that I've had the opportunity sitting across the table from, and they've planted both in America and then both in an international situation. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at both of those situations, um, what were things that carried over from the first experience that helped you in the second time around? And then also, what, what ways was it just completely different and it would have been a disaster if you approached it the same way you did the first time?
2: Yeah, that is a great question. Well, I would say, first and foremost, you have to know your culture. So because I was raised in rural Wisconsin, I could go to a rural context. And I felt like I fit in, and that that was really good. my The town I grew up in was fifteen hundred um, so there's unique dynamics in a rural small town there It's just different and so um, I think what I learned in the first plant was, I need to really love these people well and uh, And what did that look like And so when we went to Panama, we said, "You know if nothing else, we are just going to love these internationals." incredibly well and I think that even to this day there are people that have visited real uh, I'm sorry life bridge international church in Panama City they're like there's something unique about this because you only have an expat community you only have people that are actually true expats people that are from a different country living in Panama they may be there two years, three years, four years, and then they transition out. So we were constantly saying, you know, goodbye to people. Hello, welcome, you know, hope you stay a little longer, you know, that kind of thing. So the dynamic is, uh, as a U.S. church planter, I know the culture and I can, I can kind of define things. I've got the expertise. I have the books at the conferences in Panama, I'm dealing with multiple cultures. We had 28 different nationalities represented at our opening and launch in movie theater. Yeah, and actually, we were the minority group. So, how do you deal with that? And then, different languages. Others speak in English, but
1: we had some people that were
2: learning English, and so they like coming to our church.
1: I would ask the question then: What did you learn, even uh, being international, that then translates back, especially in your role now, as you work with other church? church planters are there things where it's like oh being in an international setting actually helped me to realize some of the ways that we do church planting in the United States that just kind of bubbles to the surface yeah I think
2: we I think I made a lot of assumptions I'll give you one for uh, as an example I thought okay you speak Spanish because you're from Peru Ecuador Colombia Panama but they don't speak the same Spanish and so that's why a lot of our Latino uh, expats, they would speak English and they liked their church because they could understand we're saying kind of the same language so don't make the assumption like oh everybody speaks this language therefore they're all the same, they're uniquely different. I also think it helps, it helped us go okay, I need to be present I need to actually be with this person and love them through and I, we actually moved in with a New Zealand couple lived with them for three months when we got to uh, Panama And as they're leaving, he had worked, uh, the husband worked for a bank. Uh, His wife said, you know, love us, love us through. And that really stuck with us. Because I think we discard people and relationships, and that's not good. And I don't think Jesus did that to any of his disciples and any of his followers. And he certainly never did that to me or you guys, you know. So can I love people like Jesus loves people? And love them through because they're dealing with a lot of stress internationally. And then coming back to our, our culture, uh, there's a lot of stress, you know, today, whether it's urban or suburban, city, rural. I mean, there's a lot of stressors.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. What What is one of the funniest cross-cultural experiences you experienced Why in Panama trying to do the church thing?
2: Okay. So uh, I have a lot, but one that just comes to the surface is we're doing this leadership training. We live in a, an apartment. Uh, we have to rent the community room, you know, and we always have meals, and it's, it's very social. But I have my laptop and my projector, and I'm trying to do some training, and these two little Panamanian boys uh, are just running around, it, and I don't speak fluent Spanish, so I can't correct them. So we have a lady that worked on the you know the Panama Canal, worked actually for our U.S. government, and she was fluent in English and Spanish. And I said, Mercedes, would you tell them to stop running around? And she just looked at me. And I'm like, I just kind of gave you an order and you endured me? So the next week in our, in our launch team uh, meeting, I said, help me understand, what, what am I missing? Well, pastor, in Panama we never correct someone else's children we never tell them to do anything i said yeah but i told you to do it well pastor we're just not going to do it so that i i am very grateful because that is that cultural thing mm, that i yeah. have no clue cuz i was raised my parents actually told yeah. Anyone, hey, listen. If my kid misses, yeah. misbehaves, you have the right yeah, to yeah, complete opposite. Correct Takes a
0: village, you know.
2: Oh, so, so that that was uh, that was a good experience too.
0: As, as we kind of wrap up our time, Glenn, um, I'm going to ask you to to speak into people's lives that may be on you know listening to this podcast. One is for those that are in a career based situation and and they may be sensing God is doing something. What would you say to that person?
2: Man, I tell you what, I think there's a whole lot of guys that are even mid-career guys or maybe they're coming out of college. It's like, what is the next step? Well, I I think church planting assessment or missionary assessment, I think that helps clarify your call and it teaches you some things. Uh, I certainly think reading resources, uh, taking vision trips also, for me and my story, helped plant that seed. I I had to go on a vision trip. I had to see it, taste it, smell it, and go, okay, Lord, I'm ready and willing to do that. And then I think, are you going to make your life matter? Like, time is running out in my life when I think of, okay, do I have 30, 40 years left of living? I want to be totally sold off for Christ. I want to see more people come meet know, one follow Jesus. And there's so many people in our country, and our culture that don't. And then the international scene, there's so many opportunities out there. So uh, I, I would say if you're a risk taker and you're sensing God's call, then get some counsel. Talk to us.
1: Um, and I don't think we covered this, but um, talk to me about the transition or education or not education that you have. Because I know a lot of guys that are mid-career. They're like, I'm I'm not going to go back to school or... I just, I can't do that because I don't have some sort of degree. So I'll speak to your experience and even just working with other guys that are mid-career.
2: Yeah, I think, um, do you have the expertise in the business world that you could help with those principles and offering workshops internationally, but also to church planters and those that are ministering to people in business? I think that is a wide open field. Um, I think uh, if you have advanced degrees... It gives you instantaneously credibility in the expat world because these are the movers and shakers of the world. I mean, they're in industry, they're
1: in politics. Um, I meant theological education. Okay. So, guys, guy going, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm a cop. I've been a cop. I can't Thyroid, be a pastor. Yeah. There's no way. Theologically trained. I, 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 I'm not theologically trained. Therefore, just forget it. That's just a dumb idea. So, yeah,
2: I, I was going. Uh, I was finishing my descent, my seminary, as I was uh, in Panama. <clears throat> And so I think if you have this, hey, I'm going to accomplish this, I am a firm believer, you need theological training, but there's so many programs out there that, quite frankly, it's practical experience where you can actually uh, still work, take some classes, work in a local church, and gain that experience.
1: But you started your church planning process far before you completed theological. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
2: I
0: did. I and you have people speaking into your life and coaching and mentoring you through some of that, too, right? Absolutely.
2: When I got the call, the, you know, I, I was leading a chaplaincy in finally like, the police department, and I had 32 clergy from all different flavors. And so I started asking them, hey, what's my next step? And so most of them said, well, you need seminary. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, okay. So then that fall, I enrolled, and I was starting um, taking part-time classes because I was working full-time. Right.
0: Guys, it's been unfiltered. It's been a pleasure. Glenn, I appreciate you taking time, sharing parts of your story and both on the, the home front, but also on the international front. And just, uh, you know, I want to put a word of wisdom out there to those that are listening. It's like if you're sensing God's calling you to do something, be obedient, um, you know, walk by faith, not by fear. And uh, God may write a really unique story as, as a result.
1: This has been the Unfiltered Podcast, so keep it real.